All right, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, me and Brother Justin, we talk quite a bit during the uh, week. <clears throat> and we talk a lot about a lot of stuff that's completely pointless, obviously, because we're friends and we like to laugh and encourage each other. But we also talk a lot of Bible and, you know, truth, just, you know, what, how to approach a lot of these truths that, uh, that we're learning and the Spirit of God brings to us and, you know, trying to maneuver, you know, people in the gospel and grace. And, you know, we, we're working on um, some different series and things like that that we're planning on trying to kind of tag team and work together on. It's, it's, uh, the one thing I appreciate, appreciate is Brother Justin and me are completely different as far as how we, you know, our, our styles of being able to, to deliver truth and preaching. And I find it's nice to have a variety when it comes to that. Because, you know, I'll, you know, my wife's heard just about all the messages I've had to preach. But then, you know, Brother Justin will say something, and she's like, oh, did you hear Brother Justin said this? I was like, man, honey, I've been saying that for, you know, <laughs> forever. Matter of fact, I gave, I told him about it. And, you know what I mean? So, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, anyway, one of the things that we were, we were, we were talking about uh, doing is a, a series talking about the greater truth. And how we, you know, so much, some of us have settled for a truth, but the Bible kind of gives a greater truth to things that we can learn to live from. And we're kind of working on that and developing on some of that. Um, and then another thing, too, we're working on is, is uh, developing is a lot of cliche statements that we've heard in, our, in, in the Christian life that really don't apply on this side of the cross. But we... we, we we're used to them, you know. I mean, like this, like the saying, you know, when my sins are under the blood, Amen. Bless God, sins are under the blood. And if you, I learned, if you say bless God and Amen, you can make anything sound religious, can't you? You know what I'm saying? Auburn's going to win today. Bless God, Amen. They're going to bring it down. <laughs> Final four, and it's and just by saying bless God and Amen, it's sanctified and it just fits right in, right? It has nothing to do with gospel, spiritual truth. But everything to do with encouragement, amen? So anyway, so, but like saying your sins are under the blood. Now, in reality, the truth is, even though we sing about that, the reality is your, your sins are gone. You know what I mean? They're not under anything. They're, they've never existed because that's the power of the blood, not just to cover all of your sin. Now, for some of us, I know that seems like a miracle that it could just be covered, but the greater truth is the fact that it's completely gone. And, you know, things like that. But today I'm going to talk to you about from the heart to the mind. From the heart to the mind. And in, in this, we're, we're going we're gonna to look at Ephesians. We're going to look at a big chunk of Scripture, verse by verse. And there's some other truths along with this. And I, I like it because Paul is dealing with the church. And he's, he's dealing, what he's dealing with the church about applies just as much today as, as it did then. So, so, so much as it does. It's meant to be that way. Now, culturally, there's some differences. You know, historically, there's some differences. But spiritually, you know what I mean? It's exactly the same. And what Paul was dealing with then is the same thing that we kind of deal with now. And I like the fact that he's addressing the church. 
And I think that so applies so much to us, you know what I mean, as a church. Because that's what we are. We're a body of believers. And Paul, he, he even deals with behavior issues, too. And we're, I'm going to talk about that. Because the grace community, we kind of get accused of, of minimizing behavior. You know what I mean? Well, you know, you can't, you know, you can't tell people, you can't preach too much on the love of God. Because if you do, then people are going to get, you know, complacent. You know, they're, 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 we got to preach against sin. That's the problem. We got to put sin on a pedestal and warn people. And, and it's amazing to me that, you know, at one time that was kind of my goal. That's what I thought. And then, I, then it's like one day the Spirit of God says, look, I, why don't you focus on the Savior? Why don't you? It's good news. The gospel is good news. And it's amazing how a lot of that got translated. But that being said, as, as grace, you know, we, 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 we can get accused of not wanting to deal with behavior issues. Paul dealt with many behavioral issues. The difference is, is Paul, before he got into behavior issues, he laid the foundation of salvation and the gospel first. And the reason why just trying to preach on behavior is so ineffective, you've got to give people a foundation to stand on first. And, or if not, then you're just on that same treadmill, uh, uh, that cycle of, you know, man, I, I'm, I'm going to get right and go to the altar and, 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 and give it all. And then I get back in the same. And you find yourself never making any ground because you don't have a good foundation to deal with. Uh, you know, here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul gets into behavior issues. But before he gets into them, we have three chapters previously where he's laying the foundation for them. Like, for example, Ephesians 1 where he says, look, he says all spiritual blessings, that we have all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. You've been blessed, past tense, with all spiritual blessings. Think about that. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Later on in chapter 1, he, he goes on to say, look, I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will reveal to you all that you have available in Christ Jesus. It's, it's in you know, Ephesians chapter 2 where we find this, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a what? Gift. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So we're seeing all these things before we get to chapter 4. So let's look in in Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> and some of the things I just said I probably will say again because I have a tendency sometimes to get a little bit ahead of my notes. But I find if you tell, tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them, you may leave here with something, right? <clears throat> if you take in speech class, you'll, you know what that's all about. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll start in verse 11. He says, And he gave some apostles... And some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith, <clears throat> and in the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working to the measure of every part, 
maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, let me stop here. Now, if you could, if you could imagine being a translator, trying to translate Koine, from Koine Greek to King James English, to, to, to summarize what they just said is the church is a body. You know what I'm saying? It's an organism. That's, that, that's what he's saying here in verse 16. But verse 17 says this, and the reason I said that is because it's, it gets kind of confusing, uh, you know what I mean, in, in the King James English. But anyway, verse 17. This I say, therefore, testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understandings darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, I'm so thankful that your truth is a person. And, and Lord, grace is a person. And the gospel is found in a person. And in a person is found in that relationship. And Lord, I, I know for so long I felt like I was completely unworthy, that I was continually to maintain my righteousness, to continually maintain my holiness, to continually maintain sanctification. There was a time where I felt like I was dirty and you were distant. But Lord, as I come to understand what the cross did, and Lord, I just pray that this morning that you can give me fresh revelation that I could be able to say what needs to be said this morning. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that we can leave here rejoicing because you have carried the load. You have done the heavy lifting. And Lord, we can be able to see that we are true. We, we benefit from what you have done. May, may we be able to receive these truths so they can become real to us. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 4, we find Paul dealing directly and specifically to the church purpose, the influence, and then he also is dealing with believers' behavior. Paul even makes the statement in verse 1 of this, I didn't read this, but in Ephesians 1, he makes the statement that we should, our, we should walk worthy of our vocation, wherewith we are called. Now, I don't know about you, when I hear statements like that, it kind of gets me nervous because so much of... The legalistic, you know, the legalism that I was in, I never felt like I was worthy. But here, that's not what Paul was saying. He wasn't saying that we should get to the point we feel like we're worthy, because most of us never will. But it seems many today have appointed themselves worthy police, which is not our jobs as believers, right? Worthy police. Are you worthy? Are you worthy? I don't know. Let me see. Did you go to church Sunday night? No, we don't have a Sunday night service. Amen. Bless God. No, I'm just kidding. I got some fundamental brethren. They, their heads would explode by hearing me say that. But anyway, truth is we are worthy. Now, here it is. We, truth is we are worthy 
on the basis of Christ's finished work to be called sons and daughters. And we are new creations in Christ, but even though we are worthy, sometimes our walk isn't worthy, is it? You know who's the first one to know that? You are. You know who's the one telling you that? It ain't the worthy police. It's the Spirit of God reminding you, saying, you can handle that differently. You can do this differently. You know what? Next time, why don't you try this? And if we're, truth be told, many of us, are, we weren't trying to live our life trying to be worthy. We're trying to live our life trying to feel worthy. And I, I, at the end of the day, listen, remember, you are worthy. You're worthy on the basis not of your behavior. You're worthy on the basis of what Jesus was able to accomplish. Our walk did not make us worthy. It will not keep us worthy. Christ makes us worthy and he keeps us worthy. Amen? That's the truth. Religion and churchianity, as I like to call it, has muddied the water when it comes to this truth. And in an effort to teach others to make themselves worthy and presentable to God have failed to employ the basic truths of the gospel. See, that's what Paul didn't do. Paul went to the very beginning. For example, if you go to Romans, and when Romans chapter 12, when he tells them, be not conformed to the world, we have 11 chapters of him going through line upon line upon line upon line, teaching them that they have been crucified with Christ. That it's not about right, it's not about your works, it's not about the works of the law. It's the fact that you were born a sinner and now you're reborn a saint. And he teaches that foundation before he gets into the behavior issues. But the church today seems like, man, it's all about, you know, I'll give you a good example. I was thinking about this this morning. And this is the best way I can really kind of explain it. When I, when I go back and I look at how I looked at salvation... And I know that salvation says your sins are forgiven, right? That, that's, that's, where, that's where the majority of churches, we got that, that Jesus forgave you for your sins on the cross. But we're missing the other part. The other part, you were crucified with Christ and dealing with the new creation. So what ends up happening is we can pretty much stay on the fact that, that it's, it's all about our sins. You know, Jesus forgave you. Know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's where, that's where most people are at. And I knew that Jesus died for my sins, but I didn't, at the end of the day, I didn't really think they were all dealt with. It was more like I came to Jesus and he was a sin debt consolidator. You know what I'm saying? And he says, what's your problem? And I said, look, I got all this sin. He says, I tell you what, I got a, I got a solution for that. Now, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to consolidate all your sin and I'm going to make your sin debt manageable now. Just a small little, are, are you, are, is this not accurate? You know what I mean? And you're, that's how I felt. So now everything that I was doing, my sin debt was still somewhat of an issue. So now here I am. I'm motivated to do, but it's, the motivation is to try to pay him back in some form or some fashion. So, man, I was just hoping that maybe I was doing enough and giving enough that where I could make that installment payment for my sin debt. But when I come to realize that, look, you know, and then, you know, why do you think that way? Well, we would have statements like, you got to keep short accounts with who? God. Anybody ever heard that before? Keep short accounts with God. What does that mean? Be prayed up. You know what I mean? Don't let some sin go unconfessed because if you do, you'll forget about it. And it's going to be on some secret ledger over here that's just going to go undealt with. And then you're going to have all kinds of problems. Isn't it so interesting how uh, complicated the gospel has become? 
But the reality is, it's not complicated. It's simple. And all your sins have been dealt with. And it's, uh, but anyway, let me go on here. Notice what Paul says in verses uh, Ephesians 2 and through 6. Notice what he says here. We're going to jump up a little bit. <clears throat> he says, With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, there is one Spirit, even as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through us all, and where? In you all. In you. It's not me striving to get to him. It's me understanding that he's already in here. But man, how we strive for so long to try to get in. You know what I mean? Club Jesus. Man, have I made it? Have I had the credentials yet? But man, it's the fact that he's already in. Notice verse 6. Where did he say? He says that he is in, in us all. Look at verses 11 through 13. Paul describes the work and the goal of the ministry. He says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till, till we all come in the unity of the what? The faith. I'll talk about that here in a second. And of the knowledge of the Son of God into the, perf- the perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Although not everybody will have the role, we all share the same goal, don't we? And that's really what brought us together as a church. It, it's, what brought us together was this right here, the unity of the faith. In identifying the fact that it's about Jesus. Our backgrounds could be completely different. Our experiences can be completely different. But as long as we understand it's about Christ and his finished work, man, we can fellowship. We can can enjoy and walk together. It's about that, that unity of the faith. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, each uniquely gifted to uh, perfecting, or that word means to furnish the saints. Now think about that. What, how, how do you perfect a saint? You know, if you're a saint, you know what I mean? And now, according to the Catholic Church, there's a criteria you have to meet in order to be a saint. We just have one, that we just come to Jesus. We, we didn't say, hey, we can. We just say, I can't. And we come to Jesus, and we are 64 different times. Paul references believers as saints in the New Testament. It may be 65, it could be 68, but anyway, it's over 60, amen? You can quote me on that. Work of the ministry is to edify or to build up those that have been broken. And I see that so, that breaks my heart more than anything else, is the brokenness. I see some that they go out into the world, and the world has just chewed them up and spit them out. They're broken. And I see those that have been the church, And they've got on that treadmill of religion. And what did it do? It broke them. So what do we do as apostles, as preachers, teachers? Our job is to edify or to build them up. How are we going to build them up? We're going to build them up in these truths of the basic new covenant Christianity. That's what they need to hear. That's the foundation on which they stand. That's the oxygen that they need to breathe. And it's amazing to me that when you start feeding them these things, their initial thoughts are, 
this is too good to be true. And I'm like, that's called good news. Yeah. Amen. That's what it's it. Are you sure? I mean, for the first couple of years, I thought at any moment the Holy Spirit was going to go, psych! You know what I mean? I was just kidding about that. It's really not that good. But I'm telling you, it gets better. Or for those improper English, gooder. It gets gooder and gooder. I know I'm driving some of you crazy, but it is gooder. Amen? To edify, to build up those that are broken. Do you, you sense that, though, don't you? We leave, the, we leave out, of this, out of here and we sense the brokenness and we see it. And we so desperately want a solution. May I remind you that you have a solution. You have a solution. It's found in Christ. Mat- uh, the material we use to build with is the knowledge of the Son of God, the gospel, and everything that comes with salvation. Look at verse 14. Uh, <clears throat> verse 14. He says that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sight, the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Four, 14 is the consequence of the church being divided on the message of the new covenant gospel. What causes this to be tossed to and fro? It, the, what causes it is the church being divided on the, on the very principle is Jesus enough. Is Jesus enough? In this corner, we have those that say Jesus is enough. And in this corner, we have those that say, well, no, it, Jesus ain't quite enough. Remember Galatia? They dealt with that. They're like, hey, brother, that's great that you accepted Jesus and all, but have you considered the old covenant? Have you considered that for many years, traditionally, this is what they did? Who told you that we have to give these things up? It's about tradition that we need to hold to. Does that sound familiar? Isn't it funny how that same thing sneaks in today? That, man, it's, 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 I see people, I'll, I'll get people to, to right to the edge, and they're, they're looking into the green, grill, the green fields of grace, and they're, they, they, they want to jump out there and run so much, but what's holding them back is their tradition. They're like, well, you know, it's getting into an argument about my sins being, not being under the blood. Just the idea that that contradicted a song would keep him somebody from arguing with me about Bible truth. Wait a minute, man. We sing this on church. That couldn't possibly be right. We've been singing it for years. Well, there you go. You're right. I'm wrong. You know what I mean? I'm completely wrong. Division, strife, and an overwhelming distrust for the church are a byproduct of not building ministry on the new covenant gospel. And may I encourage you folks, what's happening today is there's places, bright spots, just like ours. And I don't say that as we have it all together, but I know one thing. We might be a bunch of nuts, but we're screwed to the right bolt. Amen. It's Jesus. People might say we're crazy, but it's about Jesus. And there's bright spots popping up all over the place where people are saying, you know what? I've got so desperate, all I had left was Jesus. That was it. And I always thought Jesus was just about becoming a Christian. I didn't realize it was about the gospel not just being some, what I got saved on. It's about what I live from, you know what I mean, from here on out. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We should not be children, but we need to be mature in Christ. Now, you know, let me, let me go on here. I don't want to get too, too far on track on that. 
How to mature in Christ has been described by church as something we do, isn't it? If you're mature in Christ, well, you know, when, as an associate pastor for 10 years, 9, 10 years, you know, we quantified spiritual growth in two ways. I know this is, this is going to sound crazy, but two ways is how we quantify spiritual growth. Attendance and giving. That was it. You know, are they coming to Wednesday night church? Okay, good. They're, they're good. They're good. Hey, they're good, everybody. They're coming to Wednesday night church. We got them. They're good. You know what I mean? What, they're not coming to Wednesday night? Oh, man. You know, check their giving. I bet you they, I bet you they stopped giving. I look, I, I'm not being facetious. I'm being, I'm being, you look, I, look, I'll tell you what, not dead serious, but two weeks in the ER serious. No, ICU serious. You know, maybe two hours in urgent care serious. Okay, how about that? But anyway, that, that's, that's how we quantified spiritual growth. It was all about things that you do or things that you didn't do. But the reality is it's about who you know when it comes to spiritual maturity. We grow first in our knowledge of Christ and the gospel in order to produce the works in our life. We walk worthy because we, what, are worthy. That's why. You must first understand you are worthy. And then your walk tends to lean in the direction that you know that you are. Just like, for example, I I love work clothes. You know why? Because I don't care about getting dirty in work clothes. You know, who cares? Sawdust in my shoes, sawdust on me, grease on you. What's the matter? It's work clothes. I was on the way back from church. Little fella said, my nose is bleeding. I grabbed one of my work shirts, threw it to him. He's bleeding all over it. I don't care. It's a work shirt. But it takes one of my nice dress shirts. It's like, hoo, 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 hoo. Whoa, watch out now. I got to be careful because now I'm clean. You know, I don't want to get dirty. don't want to get soiled. But when it comes down, you know that you're worthy. When you, know that you, when you know that you don't go in and out of fellowship with God, when you know that the presence of God never leaves you, then you're never off the hook, are you? When you know he's with you, when Jesus told the Corinthians, he says, listen, when you go into a harlot, don't you know you take Jesus with you? They were like, oh, man, I never thought about that. Of course, we don't have the luxury of going in and out of fellowship with the Father. He's one with us all the time. And he does that out of love and commitment, not out of burden, you see. Question, was Christ becoming the Son of God or was he the Son of God? Did Jesus come to the earth a potential candidate to be the Son of God, and because of the miracles, and because of what He did, and because of His commitment, and because of His resolve, He proved Himself worthy to become the Son of God? No, He was. Think, and I'll, you don't have to go there, but Matthew, we've talked about this before, Matthew 6, or Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus gets baptized, and the Spirit of God comes on Him like a dove, and the Father says, this is my Son, in whom what? I am well pleased at the beginning of his ministry, before he did his first, preached his first message, did his first miracle, the son needed to know where he was at with the father, and the father says, I'm pleased with you, and how we need that same thing. Before Christ even started his ministry, he was not just worthy to be the son, he was the son before he performed the first miracle. Let's look at verse 16. 
In verse 16, we find growth is organic. As an individual grows, the church grows with them. And this is so missing. We, we use this terminology, but it's, it's, it's so missing in church. We got so much organization in church. It's just crazy how much, organi- how much organization, you know, it's all about structure and organization. I'm not against any of those things. Don't get me wrong. But, but you can't get the cart before the horse. Look what he says in Ephesians 4.16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Church was always meant to be an organism and not just to be an organization. What we want to have here is, a, is, is an understanding that we are symbiotic on each other that we both are dependent upon each other. We grow together like a seed gets planted and germinates and grows. That's what we are. That's the product of all of us tapped into the river of life, Jesus Christ, and we're growing together. Man, that's good. That's the way it's supposed to be. But man, if it's just all about just being an organization, that's the thing. We've taken the org, just being an organ of church as an organization, and we've left out the life, and that's why so many would say churches are dead. No life in it. What do you mean? You mean you walked in and there was a bunch of corpses in there? No. Was there any singing? Yeah. Did they have Sunday school? Yeah. Did they have any activities? Yeah. There's just something was missing. I don't know what it was. You know what was missing? Life. That's found in Christ. And I'm not trying to be too critical. I'm not trying to be critical of church, but... The truth is, when, you, when, you are, when you're fuzzy on the idea of the foundation of Jesus and Christ's life, this is a byproduct of that. And you're not going to organize, uh, you can't have enough organization just to, to, to conjure up life. You must have life and then organize that around that. And I know I'm, I'm preaching to the choir on that one here. But anyway, let's see here. Let's look at verses 17 to 20. Paul defines the real issues with lost. Verse 17, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from what? Life of God. Through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their what? Their heart. The blindness of the heart, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because oh, I'm sorry, verse 19, who being past feel, uh, who who being in past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to the work of all and uh, uh, uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. But he says, this isn't you. This is them. Those that are lost, but you are different. He says, you have not learned that from Christ. Why was he saying that? Because there were believers within the church that were guilty of the same behaviors that those of other Gentiles and lost people were. Yeah, newsflash. You know what I'm saying? Were they unworthy? No, they were worthy, but their walk was not worthy of who they really were. Now... The lost world has a heart problem. That's the issue. Now, we understand we have clean hearts. We have new hearts. 
But the, but the, soul, the problem with the world is not sin. We can sit and preach on the comprehensive studies of sin and the nature of sin and besetting sins and generational sins and sins of the culture. And we can get up and belt out what's wrong with all these things. And you know what? It isn't going to matter. Because the problem is not the world understanding sin. The problem is they have a heart issue. It's kind of like the, there was a, an old, old evangelist years and years ago had an illustration that really fits this perfectly. And he taught it, taught is in a message called Dr. Law and Dr. Grace. And Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, it was a man was, he was, he was having issues. So he goes to the doctor. Anybody do that when you have issues? Or you just say, hope, I don't, you know, just hope it'll all go away. You know, it'll heal. But no, he had an issue and he go into the doctor and he sits down with the doctor and says, doctor, what can I do for you? Or he says, doc says, what, what, what can I do for you? He says, Doc, I've got a problem with my eyes. Man, my eyes are always looking at things they, should, they shouldn't be seeing. And he says, really? He says, okay. He said, uh, well, that's not, that's not your problem. ain't your eyes. The problem is your heart. And he says, oh, no, Doc, you don't understand. He said, also, too, my hands. My hands are always touching things they don't need to be touching. He says, really? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you, the problem's not your hands. The problem is your heart. And he says, no, Doc, you don't understand. My feet, too. My feet, I have an issue with my feet. They're always taking me to places that I don't need to go. He says, look, the problem is not your feet and your eyes and your hands. He says, but what about my mouth, Doc? I'm always saying things I shouldn't say. He says, listen, all these are symptoms of a greater problem. The problem is your heart. And he says, oh, you know, you're a quack. I'm going to get a second opinion. So he goes see some other doctors. Go see Dr. Feelgood and go see Dr. Religion and Dr. Uh, whatever. He, he, he tries, gets all the different opinions and he tries them all and none of them work. So he finally comes back to Dr. He comes back to Dr. Law and uh, uh, Dr. Law, he, he, he prescribes the problem. He says, well, look, Doc, can you fix me? And Dr. Law says, look, I don't specialize in that. I can't, I can't do nothing for you. All I can do is diagnose you. You got to go see Dr. Grace for that. So he gives him Dr. Grace's number. And he goes sees Dr. Grace. And he tells the Dr. Grace, and Dr. Grace says, Look, I'm going to have to perform a surgery on you. He says, I'm going to have to open you up. And I'm going to have to remove that old heart. And I'm going to have to give you a new heart. Because the issue is with the world, it's not sin, it's the fact they have a heart problem. And they're blinded to it because the God of this world has blinded their minds that they believe not lest the glorious gospel should shine upon them, as Paul told the Ephesians. Look at verse 21 and 22, and we'll be done. Paul reminds them lingering influences of the old administration still can affect us in our Christian experience. Ephesians 21, 22 says, If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as truth in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation... The four, that's important to understand. The former conversation of the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. Sometimes we fall back on our old actions to get our needs met instead of following the Spirit of God. You know, the, like the, the, it's, it, just like I said a minute ago, it's like a, the, the lingering, every president that comes into office, and even Donald Trump has had to deal with this, some of the ramifications of the old administration still plagues and battles trying to keep it in the direction that it was going and our flesh is a prime example of that 
Our flesh is that old administration. The new administration came in by way of the spirit and the heart and new creation. But we find ourselves when bad things happen and people anger us, we get angry, don't we? That's why later on he says, be angry, but what? Sin not. Sin not, because that's a great open door for sin to come is through anger. But here he's reminding them, look, that was your old conversation. That's who you were. But now we know that the old man has been crucified. But the flesh and some of that old administration is still here and still plagues us. And look at verse 23 and 24. He says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Notice he didn't tell them they had a heart problem. What did he tell them that they needed to focus on? Their mind. Be renewed in the mind. He says, in your mind, and that you put on the new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness, and here's the kicker, true holiness. True holiness. I always thought holiness was a product of how much church I went to, how much preaching I listened to, what I wore, exactly what I said, who I hung out with. All these things were things that were making me holy. But true holiness is something we wear just like a coat. It's like a gift given to us. That is true holiness. Holiness was given to you like righteousness was given to you, like sanctification was given to you, like justification was given to you as a package deal. And it's, 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 it's given to us. It's a gift. The mind is what needs to work and re- have renewal and not the heart in us as believers. And I say that to say, I remember we used to say, well, man, I, I, as a, I, have, it, I have it here. Remember? I got it here, but I don't have it where? I have it here. For years, that was always, you know, I got it here. I just got to get it here. But, man, isn't it interesting how that turns that up on its head? The greater truth is this. No, you have it here. It's just that you've got to get it here. Here's where you've got to get it. It's here. You know, working out your salvation means you're working something out that has already been placed in here. And your walk, walking worthy of the vocation, what you are worthy. And your walk needs to reflect that you are worthy. And here we got Paul dealing with behavioral issues, but he's dealing with them in the way they must be dealt with. We're not striving with behavior to become holy and to become righteous or to stay righteous. We are righteous. These things are gifts for us. These are the foundations on which we stand. Amen. Let's pray. I'm early. Look at there. Eight minutes. Eight minutes early. You know, I would ask for any questions, but I'm sure, I, I know I'm so thorough in my teaching. Yeah, y'all don't need to ask me any questions at all. But anyway, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we are worthy. Lord, I'm more, I, it's, it's, it, it almost seems prideful for me to say that I'm as worthy as you are. But Lord, that is gospel truth. That we are one together. And Lord, it takes truth and truth reminded by the Spirit of God and for me to by faith step out and to identify with these truths that there are times, man, my feelings will get on par where 
my mind is and, and where my heart is and that, man, it's the joyous times to know that what a relief to know that I'm not striving for worthiness. I'm not in and out of fellowship. Sin affects how I think about you, but it does not affect what you think about me. And Lord, may we very quickly, when sin does come, <coughs> when behaviors do come in our life, that is not worthy of who we truly are. May we not stay there and linger there. May we very quickly understand that it's get back up and keep going forward. And Lord, we're so thankful that we have a God that is so thorough that holiness, righteousness, justification, all these things were accomplished by your finished work. And we thank you so much for your spirit who walks so closely and so intimate with us, lovingly, very gently reminding us of these things day by day. May we not try to allow the old administration, the flesh, to lead and to drown out what your spirit is trying to remind us of on a regular basis. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.